Is this the Tick episode? No, this is the Pearl Jam episode. Yeah, we're, do, we're talking right. Pearl Jam today. One album right. of Pearl Jam. Are you going to say that same sentence when we start? No. That's a good one. Like, And today, and you're like, we're talking Pearl Jam today. One album. That's really good. That would be a good line to no, use. No, because I have a feeling you're probably going to use this in a way before the music comes up. I mean, I would have. Now maybe I won't because you guessed that. Does it feel forced? This part does. <laughs> that Yeah, that part does. Everything prior to that was just fine. Hey, everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present by living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I am Bob Canning. And welcome. Welcome to our second, um, what, second part of, we kind of have a, have a theme this month, theoretically, yeah. uh, which is called 94 in the Shade, technically. It's a month where you and I were going to be discussing the year uh, 1994. That's right. And some aspects of it that were important, important to us in our life. And I'm realizing that um, right off the bat, last week we didn't really give it the title. We kind of, I think we mentioned how we were going to talk about the 90s. I don't know if we mentioned how that was a theme for the month. And then this week, um, and we'll get to it in just a second, the topic of this week uh, is, well, we can, might as well just say, it's an album that was released in 1993, actually. So True. But it played into 1994. I thought it did. That was going to be the twist I played on it, was to find a way to make it fit. Sounds good. We are going to be talking about Pearl Jam's second album, Versus. Right. Or... Five against one, possibly. Well, yeah, that's, I, that's what it was going to be called, um, well, but it's officially there were cassettes called that came out with that on it. I think. I, I believe. In fact, did you buy it on cassette when it came out? It came out our fresh our freshman year in college. I remember it came out. I looked up the date. It was the nineteenth of October, the day before my birthday. Actually, hit the stores same day as a Rush album, uh, Counterparts. But did you buy it on cassette by chance, or did you buy it on compact disc? I bought it on compact disc, and I'm holding that said compact disc in my hand right now oh how, it, how is the structure it uh it up? the the disc itself is fine um very clean no scratches it's uh, a big orange disc it is the big orange right? disc the case <clears throat> is not uh together the case lost one of its hinges and so i can set the cover on top uh but i can't uh i can't swivel it open it comes right off does it actually say versus on the disc? Um, it doesn't on the cover. It does on the side and on the disc. Oh, on the disc itself. No, on the disc it just says Pearl Jam. Was it going to be called Five Against One then? Was that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know too much about the history of it, except um, I do recall. The, the, the thing for me, this um, was the first album I anticipated in all my years, uh, this was the one that I was like, I knew the release date. I knew a little bit about it. I had maybe heard some songs off of it. Um, more than like, and I'm not making a joke here, but like more than like Huey Lewis's Heart at Play? Yes, than, like Heart uh, at Play. Um, I thought about that. Heart at Play um, surprised me. I was listening to the radio one day and there was a new Huey Lewis in the new song. And I was like, holy mm -hmm. cow. Um, and it, I don't know if the album had been out or was coming out, but it wasn't something I was thinking about or anticipating. It just happened. Um, sure. and Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. Another favorite of my youth. Um, it, it, he had already had a couple albums out. Um, and I was reactionary to those. So like I went out and got the soundtrack to when Harry met Sally and then mm -hmm. I reactionarily got a couple of the other albums and I didn't pay attention to what was coming next. It was just already there, so I got it. But for me... But this album, you were anticipating... You were, you were anticipating the release of Versus. I was. I, I very much was. Um, it, more so even than what Nirvana was putting out at, at that time. And there, there really weren't any other bands. I was just sort of now at this stage in my life going to college. This was our freshman year when it came out. Mm -hmm. um, I was just starting to to experiment with other, other music. How did you know it was coming out? How, how far in advance? How did you know the date it was coming out? Where did that information come from for you? Um, it, it sort of, it all co coincided with me uh, moving to Boston, uh, being on my own, 
um, I was starting to buy CDs to replace my cassettes. I was starting to get into music and I was listening to one of the first things I did when I got out there was look for a good radio station. And I came across WBCN. And at the time it was just a fantastic radio station. It was alternative rock, but also like local rock. And so I was listening to WBCN whenever I wasn't doing homework or going to class. Um, and so they were talking about it and they were playing, you know, early tracks and they were talking about the release date. And so that's, that's probably, though I don't have an exact memory of it. That's probably where I, I really caught wind of it and got excited for it. I wasn't really there was definite buzz for it. Though. Yeah, there definitely. A, and you're saying you're even hearing tracks and stuff off it. So it, it was building back then, I guess, because we weren't online right. finding this stuff out as it was happening. We didn't have the window to that world, unfortunately. I guess, yeah. I mean, I didn't listen to the radio. I guess I did when I was driving, but in college stuff, I didn't listen to the radio that much. But that, that, that makes sense that that was your source. Yeah. And it got you ready to get to the store. And do you remember the day it came out? Do you remember when you went to the store, what it was like? Did you go the night before? I don't remember exactly that. Um, my memory may be pushing some days together, but what I think I remember is the night we bought it, I think I bought it, and I think you bought it the same day. Hmm. We might have even gone together. I don't think we did, because I, I remember it was the day before my birthday. I felt weird buying myself stuff, but <laughs> I did. And I, I remember I bought that, and I bought a Rush album. I remember going to Tower Records, giant, giant Tower Records at the time, yeah. and thinking, for some reason in my head, thinking, will they have Versus? <laughs> what if it's sold out? And it wasn't sold out. Of course, they had tons of them, because they knew it was going to sell big. But I remember walking around. It was the afternoon. It was after class. I think I'd probably bought some music prior to this, but it was this idea of like, look at me, I'm buying music in the afternoon <laughs> on my own choice. Like, I think it was probably the middle of the week. I didn't actually look up the dates, so I'm not sure on that. But I remember, I just remember getting them both and bringing them back to the dorm myself. I don't know when, maybe we listened to them together. Like, do you, you well, didn't go that's the night what before I remember. I, I, no, I don't, I didn't do it a, a night before. I remember, and I think it was the same day it came out, uh, that you and I were listening to it and we probably, and it was really you, I think who probably replayed elderly woman, uh, like yes. seven or eight times that night. Uh, I mean, how do we want to talk about this? We can jump right to that song if you it, want, or we can go in order. It, that's, it's it's yeah. up to you how you want to, we can, we can build up to that if you want to start. All right. Why don't we start off with track number one, Go. I think this is a great opener. I enjoy I enjoy tracks, uh, first tracks that open an album with with a little bit of uh, anticipation, and I like I like how it opens it. it they, they play they're fiddling around with the instruments a little bit before it actually kind of kicks in. I like that. I like no, this it's, song. It's definitely yeah. It's and it's definitely like to start the album off again to anticipate this album. It's definitely not what the album ten sounded like. I feel like like this yeah, right no. off the bat. Verses had me, whereas ten didn't always have me. Mm -hmm. Songs are a little shorter. There's a mercilessly short guitar solo in the song. It doesn't go on forever. <laughs> I mean, ten. Am I wrong? Ten had some very lengthy songs on it. Yeah. This one kind of moves quicker, and it is a nice introduction. I like the music. Playing it this time, I was like, I really enjoy the drums. I really enjoy the bass. Yeah. And then Eddie Vedder's voice came in. I was like, oh, I kind of would like to hear the music a little more. Surprisingly. Um, how does his voice hit you in this song? What, what, what's your feeling on Eddie Vedder's <clears throat> singing voice? I'm used to Eddie Vedder's singing voice now. Mm. Um, I, it's to me, there are some singers where they're singing and it's about the lyrics. Um, and then there are some singers where it's about the lyrics, but it's also about their voice being part of the music. And I think Eddie Vedder does that. I think his voice is just another instrument and it, it adds just another layer of instrumentation to the song as a whole. And I've, I've gotten used to it. I think I was put off by it initially, uh, but I've gotten used to it and I like it and I like it here. I like it on this album. No, his, his voice is a good instrument. That's true. And, and maybe that's part of the appeal of a lot of the Pearl Jam songs is you're kind of, you can sing along the second time you hear it. <laughs> like you don't have to know all the words to yeah. it. Um, I don't know though. Just something when this started, maybe because I was anticipating that or maybe just because his voice 
you know, and I, I think we're going to end up comparing them to Nirvana a lot. I apologize for that because, again, I don't know enough about Nirvana because it's not like I followed them. But two very distinct voices. I think Kurt Cobain's voice and Eddie Vedder's voice are very different styled voices in music. And Eddie Vedder's voice seems to be the grunge voice in the sense. And I'm not saying that's that's his doing. His was the voice that other bands mimicked. I think a lot of the bands who are coming into grunge, I'm thinking of Stone Temple Pilots right now, and that mm-hmm. song Plush. Because I remember I hearing Plush on the radio and thinking, oh, another Pearl Jam song. This is awesome. And loving that song, not knowing who Stone Temple Pilots were. Mm-hmm. Something about Eddie Vedder's voice has bec- became a commercial tool, I think, for bands yeah. to do something along those lines. And a little bit of Soundgarden, too, but... And again, that's not necessarily Eddie Vedder's fault. It, it's, it's, it's sort of the, the unfortunate outcome of the grunge scene where I think it sort of, in my mind, reduces Eddie Vedder's contribution. Like he's the front man of the band, whether or not he wants to be. And I know they have, they have their big, we're not celebrity stance, we're not a big band stance, but it's like, well, Janine Garofalo had that joke where it's like, if you don't want to be noticed at the MTV Music Awards, maybe don't show up in a Kaiser helmet to the MTV Music Awards. And I feel like... Eddie Vedder did for a while become this poster child, this 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 front and center voice of not wanting to be front and center. This this you know like I'm not a rock star, rock star, or whatever. And I think that works against this album from the start, a little bit on this track, anyways. Yeah. I mean, the only line you're talking about, what lyrics can you understand? In Go, the only line I understand every time it comes up is "supposed I abused you," and I'm like, well, that's. There's something in that, I'm sure, but I just, I don't know what the song's about. I hear that, and I'm like, oh, that's a little off-putting. So, yeah, something about his voice didn't click with me from the start, but I love the music of Go. I love yeah. how it started. It's a great start it's, to this album. It is a great start. I like and it song. leads into... I, 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 have, I have heard, and, you know, I mean, I think a lot of times you, you leave songs ambiguous so the listener can can uh, relate to it the way they they feel like they can relate to it, but I've heard that the song is just about a car, possibly his truck, not starting. Oh, just to, just to put that out there. Well, that's nice. Um, going off of this truck song, this transformer track, <laughs> track number two, Animal or Five Against One, as I think I still mistakenly call it yeah. from time to time. Um, I like this song. It's got a little more melody to it, I feel like, and and, and it's an angry song. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think I, I you know I I'm not I don't know if I subscribe to a lot of loud angry songs. Like I don't when I get mad I'll put some music on, but I don't know if I blare like angry. Like I was never like a, a death metal guy or, or, or I'm trying to think of other angry forms of music. But this song, this song which has some nice melody. I mean this yeah this is an angry sort of scary song that. I really remember listening to this song. In fact, you know, we're talking about our first year of college and experiences with music. I remember just being in the dorm room alone, you know, some some morning before classes, you know, frustrated and, and kind of freaking out with this whole, um, just with the whole concept of being at college, being away from home. And, you know, it was probably like two months in because I, if I had this album, I had to be at least two months in. And I just remember playing this song, you know, in the CD player and just kind of staring myself down in the mirror while it played with his, you know, counting five against one mm-hmm. and this idea of an animal and you know, just looking at myself and feeling cracked and broken. And, and it was creepy. Wow. You know, it was kind of creepy. I took this song for that. And, and, and again, not knowing what the song necessarily is about. I mean, there is this, you know, the, the album's called Verses. And I think we're going to see there's this, uh, this is an album about confrontation, I think. Yeah. The whole five against one thing, that's confrontation. And, and we'll get into more of it. But yeah, this is an angry song, and it did. It, it This is one of those things that did hit me and did make me feel like Pearl Jam mattered in a way because I was connecting with something at an animalistic level, I guess. Yeah, a lot of my connection to this album is just that it it was the album I played the most during yeah. freshman year. It, it was purchased early, and it was October, so, you know, we've only been at school for a few weeks. Um, four, four to six weeks and it just was it was like my first personal like for you it was the album you were buying on your own for your birthday it was my first kind of yeah. personal all my other albums I'd either gotten because they were gifts or I was um, someone else had it and I was interested in it this was the one that I knew I wanted 
And so it was mm-hmm. the first one I bought and the first one that was really solely mine. It's, it's called Versus. It's about being against something. It's about being against the world. So I can see how even subconsciously I connected to it because this was me against the world. This was me out on my own for the first time. Um, and I needed I needed that, that background music to, to pull me up and, and make sure that I'm not the only one that's out there. I'm not alone in this combat of life. And a lot of these songs kind of do rally you uh, around that. Alone, breakfast table in an otherwise empty The next track here, Daughter, the big is one. a great segue. Yeah, no, I... I think these, this album's first three tracks, Go, Animal, and Daughter, kind of informed my mixtape building a little bit. Yeah. Segwaying out of Animal into Daughter, I I love that. You know, and again, I, that is how I structure my mixtapes. Your strong opener, your louder follow-up, and then you, you like, like they say in High Fidelity, you pull it back a little. I think Daughter does that. And, it's, yeah. and, you know, it's got the quiet guitar, Eddie Vedder's voice. I like his voice in this. I mean, this is... If I hadn't been a fan of Pearl Jam, this is the song that would have won me over. I think it won over a lot of people, too. I th- this was a big hit, you were just yeah, saying, huh? Yeah, it was everywhere. I remember visiting some a friend of mine um, at a nearby college, and every dorm room was playing it. It was kind of crazy. We, we kind of like were stunned as we were walking <laughs> through the halls, and like everybody had it playing. Like that's not like I remember. I remember it hitting me the first time I heard the album, and I think it, this was the first place I heard it. There, there's a live version of this song, and I, I doubt I have it now, but I had it on cassette. It was from some live radio broadcast. Uh, I think it was like an Easter Sunday broadcast of our freshman year. I remember like we're going to broadcast the Pearl Jam concert, and so I cassette taped it. And at the end of this song, at the end of Daughter, they go into "We Don't Need No Education" by Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. Like they sing that for a little yeah. bit at the end, and. I don't know. The, the song has this weird mystical feel to it. It, it, it allows it's, it, it's it's a flexible song, and it feels important for some reason. And and it's not a sound that they've had on ten. It's not a sound they've had since. This is a you know, and it's not even my favorite song, but it is a pretty unique song. I feel like. Yeah, and as I was listening to it, I was like, is this like the first? If you were to listen, you know, to ten completely through, and then start with this one, is this the first time we hear Pearl Jam with acoustic guitars? It might be because I mean I I was gonna say release, but that's electric. Yeah, this this is probably it's a different sound. This is a band trying something yeah. more than the first two tracks. And I like it. Again, I I could go without ever hearing the song again because, <laughs> like you said, it was everywhere. Yeah. Um, it, but it's it, good to come. Back. I, always, I like coming back to it. I like having not heard mm-hmm. it in a while and coming back to it. I I still very much enjoy it. I do. Do you remember that Easter Sunday broadcast? Does that ring a bell to you, the live radio show it, it, freshman year? It sort of does ring a bell. Um, I have a, a, a stronger memory of our sophomore year when I won a uh, live album, a Pearl Jam live album, kind of a bootleg basically that WBCN was giving oh. away. Um, I remember that. You might remember that because we that was the first time on that album um, that we heard – uh, Better Man. That's my memory of this concert. Oh, <laughs> that's weird. I wonder if it's the same show. It, it might be because if the, if if BCN was the one that aired the concert, <laughs> they would be giving away the the CD. That might have been. It. That's <laughs> that's interesting because that that show. Let me sideline to this for a minute. That show was sort of a mystical experience for yeah. me, and for all the wrong reasons. Okay. Like that show, I, I remember for some, you know, it was just being advertised tonight, we're broadcasting a Pearl Jam concert. And after the concert, a, a special message or something from Eddie Vedder, like for some reason, <laughs> it was announced that after the show, like, the, you know, Eddie Vedder's got something for you. And I just, I remember thinking that, oh, it's going to be some grand statement to the youth. You know, this sure. this was my sense of Eddie Vedder, and it's Easter Sunday. Eddie Vedder's going to get on the radio. He's going to tell us that, you know, fuck, fuck you know, fuck maturity, fuck the whatever, you know, yeah. he's going to have something to tell us. And so I taped it and I was nervous. I remember as the concert was going on, I was like, what's he going to do? Is this going to cut into broadcast? Are they going to have to cut this? And it was him after the show playing some of his favorite records. <laughs> it was like him and a DJ in the studio playing albums by the frogs. Well, that's very cool though. I, you know, take, it's cool, take away all the anticipation the ex- of it. 
You know, that'd be a cool... Th- I would listen to that radio show. But, yeah, but here's the thing. That, to me, sums up my experience with Pearl Jam. Okay. You know, yeah. like, like they, yeah. they're going to be big, and it quickly dissipated when Eddie Vedder opened his mouth, I guess. <laughs> but it's just like, I don't know, that concert always... One, because it was a live thing on the radio, I was taping it. Two, I think that, yeah, they debuted Better Man there, like a year before mm-hmm. it was released. But, yeah, it, it was a moment... And I think even then, that moment, and this would have been '94, I realized that well, Pearl Jam's good, but they're not the, they're not changing the world. I, there was a moment in getting this album, maybe, where I felt like there was something earth shattering about this band. Not that the band ever said that. I, I'm not right. really holding them accountable for that. But that experience of thinking this is going to be it. This is going to be the big moment where he's this music messiah or this voice of the generation that he's going to say the thing we need to hear, and it's going to piss people off but change the world and no that was never the intention it didn't happen and it was quite the opposite and i think that impacted how i took this band a little bit yeah well i mean it's interesting that you say that like they're going to take on and and change the world because there are a couple songs including the next one where i think they are trying to make a statement maybe the statement you thought they were going to uh lead to in that radio show uh, the next song. next song being Glorified G. <laughs> you don't like Glorified G, or you don't like that it's called Glorified G? I, I, well, I, I think both of those sentences are the same thing. I used to love this song. I I like this, this song. used to be one of my favorite songs. I don't like its title. It's, I don't like Glorified G. Yeah. Just call it a gun. Um, yeah. But I like the song. It is probably um, their poppiest song. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, it is. And I mean, I lean towards, like, ultimately, as I've grown my musical uh, preferences, I lean towards uh, Beatlesque and, and melodic, mm-hmm. uh, jangly kind of tunes. Which, which this is. Absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was immediately my favorite song on the album at that time. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, well, just because musically, the the sound of it musically, um, and I like the message too. It's like, what the hell do you need a gun? <sighs> yes, that is the message. That's a good message. As a song, this is one of the most laughable attempts sure. at social commentary I've sure. ever heard. Absolutely. That opening rift, you know, I'm not, I can't do an impression. So I don't know why I just try. Yeah, it's just it's an obnoxious song. <laughs> And it's not like I, I I am all for a song that takes on challenging gun ownership as you know, I, I that get rid of, I agree. There sure. is not a need for brandishing guns. I'm totally behind that message. <clears throat> this song isn't. This song is a lazy. This song yeah. had its title first. They're, they're already being clever for a band that. Yeah, the, those titles are hard. I get that. But it's like. Glorified G. I mean, a G is, I mean, is a G the person you call a G? Is it a gun? What's, because they're glorifying G, however it works. I don't know if, they, I think they think they're being ironic or they're being sarcastic, but it just, it didn't, it's never come across to me that way. Yeah. And it's not helped by the often repeated, obnoxious, misheard lyric about a pelican. None sure. of that helps this song. I always, yeah, it's still incredibly catchy. I would always sing that as a gonna fry a Persian guy. A pelican. That's nice of you. Yeah. Open a little little food cart. But this and another song we'll get to later, I think people who don't like Pearl Jam, people who think they're pretenders to whatever, and I think there was a lot of that even then because they were the popular band, hmm. I think they can turn to this song and say, here's why. This song, to me, feels like a posing song sure. from start to finish. And I still like yeah, it. Yeah, I still like it too. And it, it just, it's... It's everything, everything you just said, and it doesn't sound anything like the band. So it's like, what are they even trying to do exactly? Right. So does that make that a good song, though, (laughs) for them, for this album? Um, I don't think it's a good. It's it's to me, it sounds like a B side. This is a fun little Mm -hmm. experiment they did, a fun little pop song. They didn't put too much effort into the lyrics. Um, It's it's a fantastic B side. It, It it's it's strange that it's like. It was the one I was immediately drawn to. Um, so it was before I knew what my preferential music sound was. Um, I was getting that guidance already because this is the one I was drawn to immediately um, mm-hmm. on the album. And so 
should it be on the album? I, I don't know. No, I. Got I mean, it. it's I, I I it's in my head a lot. It's the one that gets in my head the most. So I, it, it's doing its job. But I also I think it sets a template. Listening to this album all the way through yesterday, I think it was yesterday. This song, as I was listening to it, got my mindset ready to, as we're going to hear, analyze the rest of this album in a way because I don't buy this song as commentary. Mm. And yet that's the purpose of its title. And I assume the hastily scribbled lyrics inside the CD case. Yeah, let me actually look at that. Maybe they drew it inside an outline of a gun. I think they did. That's uh, um, if they didn't, boy, did they miss their chance. No, they drew, they wrote out the lyrics inside a, a a G that's shaped like a swooping arrow type of thing. But there is a uh, line separated from that that has uh, kindred to being an American, and one of the A's yeah. in American is a bullet. Oh, that's clever. I w- I would have written that on my <laughs> trapper keeper notebook. Those are two different things. I don't know why I combined them into one. Um, but yeah, this song sets up Pearl Jam as, or this song, maybe it's Pearl Jam setting themselves up as being socially and politically conscious, which I think we're going to hear. I don't think they are, but they're doing something. So let's go, let's go to the next track. Uh, track five, Dissident. She nursed him there. Yeah, track five is where the album first loses me. I mean, as as much as we yeah. were dissing on Glorified G, I did enjoy it at the time. I still like it today. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of lose it at Dissident. Dissident sounds like a an alive ripoff to me. It's like <laughs> another bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's got the same kind of uh, structure to it. Um, and yeah, the like the song never grabbed me. No, I don't think it ever did. Listening to it this time, I felt like I should like this song more, but I don't usually listen to it. I normally would skip it or just not pick it up. And again, I mean, it's a youth gone revolt kind of thing. You know, like it's, 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 I think it's a wannabe activist rally anthem. And yet I can't put a finger on what they're taking a stance against. Well, see, now, like that's what a dissident is, isn't it? Yeah, but um, I think here is where we have some lyrical. Um, 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 misunderstandings, um, misunderstandings because I'm hearing it's a song about a specific person who was harboring a dissident and couldn't do it anymore. Um, I'm trying to find the lyrics exactly. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess I just I maybe I can't hear it. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like if you can't hear it, then you don't know what it's about. But that contradicts what you were saying before, doesn't it? Or, or not? Like, these are songs that exist with knowing less of the lyrics. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to read these lyrics. They're just a garbled mess. Or they're embarrassing. Yeah, Because she, she kept saying, uh, this is the line I was trying to find. She folded. Uh, the dissident is here. Like, like, to me, it's a story song. Like, it's basically... Mm-hmm. Uh, one story about but you got to be able to follow a story song. you have to be able to hear True. it and maybe that's why it's failing maybe they have something to say but if you're not gonna clear your throat and say it <laughs> if all i can go on is the title the feel of the song doesn't catch me right. and i just i again i don't know i guess i don't know what the song is about and and maybe just it isn't memorable to me glorified g is memorable because it's catchy and because i'm embarrassed to say the title and have been since the day it came out (laughs) dissident i didn't know what the word meant i think at the time embarrassingly i've since learned and so i anticipate that from a song and i guess it never delivers on that so yeah it's maybe the it's the second most forgettable track on the album to me yeah absolutely what's what's the what's the first might it be the next song no, actually, oh, okay. the next song, uh, WMA, is that the name yes. of it? Yes. Track six, I think it's the last side of what would be side A on a cassette. This is a great starting song. This is actually, a, it's a great song. It's a different song. It's a little too self-important of a song, but 
it's experimental compared to the rest of the album. Yeah, it's definitely it's, you know, it's, it's a more percussive uh, pushed song. There's there's uh, it feels like there's the drums, but there's I think conga drums maybe even in there. It's it's very percussive, has a different yeah. sound to it. Um, it's the first song I feel like could have fit on ten. Also, yeah. I feel like this could have been on yeah, ten. Yeah, it, it has that. I don't want to call it dreamy, but there's there's a more ethereal sound to it. Whereas no, I think ethereal is the best description. I would have never applied that to them before, but now that you've said it a couple times and thinking about ten and especially the song. Yeah, all right. This is a song where I feel like the band takes center stage, and because of that is why I like the song. But to try to make sense of this again, it's more of just that. Does Eddie Vedder really have a political stance, or is he just what you know, mimicking like the sincerity of people like Neil Young, who take a position in their music? Because it's again, like if you can't understand what he's saying, sure. you're not gonna get something out of it. And again, that might not be his intention, but I don't know. I, I you know, he did the rally against Ticketmaster. If you want, wear your coat hanger T-shirt on Saturday Night Live. But what are your beliefs? And are you a band that's trying to rally us or you just want that image? And this song also makes me feel that whenever his voice comes yeah. in. She won the lottery, I think, is the lyric he, he keeps yeah, saying. He. Oh, is it he won yeah. the lottery when he was born? Okay. And I think it's, I assume it's about white privilege, but I'm not positive. It is specifically uh, with the police and how they um, will pass over or pass by a, a white man to, to get to the, the black brother, which is actually a line in the, the song. Well, black, I think he says black brother or maybe he just says brother. I mean, that's, that's something to talk about then. That is something to, 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 to approach in music. That is a topic worth exploring and taking a stance behind because it's true and it's as relevant now. Yeah as it was then, but I'm not, how did you get that? Did you have to read the lyrics or can you hear it? Um, I, I remember hearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe I remember hearing it because I read the lyrics as I was listening to it. Um, so I'm not exactly sure, but it's another, it's another thing like you're saying where if you're going to have the stance and believe in it and be sincere about it, come right out and do it. But they call the song WMA. You know, just like Glorified yeah. G, they hide what the song's about in the title. WMA. They're too cool. Yeah, they're too cool for titles. <laughs> also, is it racist? I mean, they're, um, it starts with a very tribal beat. Maybe this is me being racist by saying that, but it's, it's that's, tribal drums. That's all on you, Tim. Marching. That is okay. I'm sorry then. That's, that was a question. All right. Note to self edit outline about racism at 51 minutes no but no it's possible then i i don't know i i just there is a message in there possibly the most important one on this album that would tie into the title versus that does tie into relevance and would have taught me something at that age not that again it's not their responsibility to teach me something but if you have something to say get it out there somehow yeah. right yeah. yeah i sounded really racist no no, no? Oh, not okay. a, I mean, it, we're, we're discussing, we're, we're sharing what's on our mind, what we were thinking then, mm-hmm. what we're thinking now, not racist at all. The song is about race. How can you not talk about race when you're talking about a song about race? Well, maybe by not saying the phrase tribal drums. But there are tribal drums. I, I mentioned them. That's yeah, conga okay. drums. They are, right. I, I sometimes You said conga. I said tribal. Yeah. Well, I sometimes refer to conga drums as congo drums, and that I think might be racist. I'm not sure. Against Michael Crichton's creations. Yeah. So you had asked earlier what um, I think like what my least favorite or least memorable track is. If we flip this compact disc over to side two, which is not an analogy, (laughs) uh, the song Blood, it's the seventh track. I think it's what would start side two of the cassette. Sure. I don't care for this song. I don't know. You don't like the sing screaming or the scream singing? No. Um, you know, like I, it, it's where in my notes, it's where I typed meh, I mean, <laughs> which is supposed to show my dissatisfaction. It, it's not, <clears throat> it's not an offensive song. I just, I feel like sure. I've either heard it from them before or that I will hear it from them a lot as the years go by. It just, it didn't, it doesn't say anything to me. It's called blood. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's one of those. I, I, I prior to ha- having listened to the song, 
uh, like six times over the last couple of days. I couldn't tell you what it sounded like. If you had said what what does the song Blood sound like, I couldn't even remember it. Even right now, I'm I'm falling a little short. It sounds a little bit like Spin the Black Circle off the next album, doesn't it? Um, j- j- I guess I guess just in the way he vocalizes, yeah. And I do and, love and, that song as well. And and to get off topic a little bit for a song that's about the love of records, it's another example that sometimes they just just say what you want. Like spin the black circle. He's talking about a record. We know that. I know record is one syllable short, but like that's, you know, we were talking earlier about glorified G. That's an example, I think. And I don't know what their songs are like now, but that that, that was a, a period of time in music maybe where you're just trying to be like so dissatisfied. This is maybe where they sometimes seem phony. They're so dissatisfied even with just the concept of lyrics and words and nouns. <laughs> That he can't just say is a song about records. He calls it a black circle. Spin the black circle. I know it's not on this album, but I was just thinking of it with glorified G. It, it, sure. it's, that's obnoxious. And I think I thought that was obnoxious yeah. then too. I like that song, but again, I don't think I could have, I don't think I've ever said the title out loud till right now because <laughs> I'm just embarrassed by something like that. And I think it was supposed it, to be cutting edge at the time. It, it may be. Is it as cutting edge or as obnoxious as the title of the next song? Which is what? on the album all one word, uh, Rearview Mirror. I love this song. That's this a is great one of their song. best songs. This it's is a great where song. the album starts to matter. Well, but, but, but what do you, I just want to, before we get into the song though, what about the obnoxiousness of, of the title being Rearview Mirror? Oh, I'd like, have to see that. I don't remember. It's just that. one word. Is Let it? me double okay. check. That's how yeah, I've got it written down. Yeah, that, that is obnoxious. Yeah, it's just it's just one word, no space. Well, are those mirror. items and cars? If I was to look at like assembly for cars, is that one word? Rearview mirror. I think it's uh, rear hyphen view uh, space mirror. Space mirror. Yeah. So like a space, a space mirror, mirror, sure. Like the Hubble, but like here, like a, and like let's say like a Mazda. Is it one word? <laughs> I I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think only here is rearview mirror. One All right. That is, I mean, that is obnoxious. I guess I don't think of it just because I happen to like this song. But again, yeah, well, yeah it, it's it's cleverness. I, they were, what, 20-something when this album came out? Sure. They're doing what they're doing. But it is obnoxious, right? This isn't a band that's going to wow your parents if you're a fan of them. The same way that your you know your your girls are going to bring some songs home, you're going to be like, this is tripe, this is crap, this is sure. whatever, and they're going to love it because it's aimed at them. Right. Something like that is obnoxious, but the song, well, maybe we should focus on that. Something like that is obnoxious. Here's what we'll say: Do you think that was a sincere decision on their part, or is that a market, marketing gimmick on their part? Are they really that dissatisfied? <sighs> I typing that they can't put the space in the word or do they I, think like, well, this is clever. This will, this is really cutting edge. Cause it's not cutting edge. I can only imagine. G. I can only imagine that it was some sort of, we can't just have it be normal spelled out the way it actually should be spelled out. Let's do this. But why would you think that? Like, look, glorified G is dumb. I get it. And it's dumb. But that doesn't review mirror as one word doesn't even make sense. And here we are talking about it for three minutes. But <laughs> we're talking about it, I think, because and I'm, thank you for pointing it out because I don't think I realize that there's a mentality to that that makes me question their sincerity a little. You know, we're not into marketing. We're not into being. I mean, I just put that out there. They, they, they weren't into being celebrities. I don't think they were supposed to be into marketing. But it's like you have a packaged item of a compact disc. At the time, the you know modern equivalent of a record, you designed it. You you rewrote your lyrics to look scrappy. Maybe they're the original lyric sheets. I don't know. But you made a choice to, to put these words together. You didn't just leave it up to somebody. You yeah. made a choice. So take an ownership of that. Don't claim you're not part of the music machine. You're not part of the packaging that puts music out there. Because that's a wonderful artistic part of the work, too, I think. I think album design and covers and all that is beautiful, but it's like, unless there's a meaning that I'm just not getting, or unless I'm applying too much meaning to this, you're stepping on your own false image by deciding, like, because somebody had to say, wait, 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 let me see that. Let me see that test sheet again. Yeah, that's one word now. Rearview mirror, one word. Somebody had to make that choice or the person they hired to spell check to the copyright wasn't doing their job. 
It's obnoxious. But this song isn't. This is one of their best songs. Um, yes. And they say rearview mirror in it, right? Like, that's in the song. They, it's not they like they're do. just throwing words around. That's where they but want this song, you. This song starts out awesome. This is an awesome start. I used to, I put yeah. this on tons of mixtapes. It's a good, you know, it, it gets you moving. This this is it's, it's, and it's rapid. Fun. It's a nice little rapid do 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 do. Yeah. I love it. That sounded like a, like a Nintendo theme, but but yes, this would be an awesome Nintendo theme. This is just a great, you know, you got this on your headphones, you hop in a car, you, you hop on a bus, whatever you're doing. This is a great pounding song. Yeah. And again, the first time that I feel like this album this time really started to matter to me was this and, song. I, and, I love it. And this the sentiment song. too is is easy to to relate to. It's just about I'm finally realizing this is a shitty situation, whatever it might be. Uh, and I just want it behind me. Yeah, thematically, this if you were making an upbeat album, which they're not, this would close out your album in a way. I mean, and it is. It's very straightforward. The very first line, I took a drive today. We can relate to that. You, you get away. You have your thinking time. You have something on the radio, which is what the start of this song is, and you figure something about life out. Only for the moment that you're in that fucking car, then when you get back to wherever you're going, it dissipates. But yeah, this song, that where's that title? There's no song called Dissipate on this, is there? No. <laughs> no. But no, I just I feel like Rearview Mirror, yeah, this this song is a relatable song. Especially at the age we were at, I yes. think. Coming out of high school, getting to college, trying to get a future, putting our stuff in the past, and then also as life goes on, it's it's remained relevant because of what you were just saying. You're getting out of something and looking at it in the past. Meatloaf tried to do it and failed, but this song, <laughs> this is great. I love this song. It's this, a great and this song. Is, this is kind of worth the album. I'll tell you what's not worth <laughs> the album. Track nine. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have more to say about Rearview Mirror? That was no, that funny. covered it. You covered it well. Well, why don't you then, then you take Rats. <laughs> you cover Rats, track nine. They don't eat, don't sleep. They don't feed, they don't see. They're the gums are when they moan and squeak. Lick the dirt off a larger one. Rats, yeah, Trek Nine is rats, and I, you know, I, I, I've always, I've just, I don't know, it, I could never figure rats out. I kind of like rats. Really, you don't get the theory, you don't get the concept, the metaphor he's blatantly hitting you in the face with. No, I get that. Um, I like the, the song rats. music. I like the song Human music. Human beings are the rats. Human beings are the rats. I get that. Um, I, I've always enjoyed. The the sense of humor of of singing lyrics from Michael Jackson's Ben at the end of it, but that's um, the extent of Eddie Vedder's humor. <laughs> Someone else's lyrics. I've always kind of felt like the whole song was a joke. I I, really? I, I, I kind of feel like the whole song's a joke. A little like I, I don't know what they think were thinking. They, sort of. Inside. I think they thought they were being <laughs> clever. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a typical Pearl Jam song, so that's good. Yeah, that, it, like that, that's my that's my the the one thing I really love about the song <clears throat> is the sound of it. It's just the mu- musicality of it is is different and enjoyable. Um, but if I did like a spinal, I tolerate the lyrics. Do you? You I tolerate do. the lyrics? I do. <sighs> there, it's this song is awful. It's got a nice rhythm to it. Honestly, it's not a bad song. That maybe to the degree of making it out to be, but this is the the mentality behind this. And again, maybe I'm not putting myself in the moment of where we were and where they were. Cause again, they weren't even 30 yet. Probably. Yeah. This is a, this is like a, the lyrics, the metaphor, the content, the, the, the thought behind it is very juvenile. Sure. It's advanced juvenile. Like this is AP juvenile, but it's, not, it's a song that they had. They, I mean, they had the title before they had the song. Many songs probably work that way, but they were like, this is going to be it. This is a great idea. Let's, put this let's not promote this but let's rest assured we are saying something with this song yeah and they're not yes the rats are rats treat each other like crap they're survivors but they also eat dirt oh wait so do human beings so do americans that's what you're saying any better there's no you know there i don't know what the verse of whatever you know the verses aspect of this is but yeah it's just it's call it craps this is not this song sucks i think okay we <laughs> I'm sorry. And I, did, I didn't think I had that much of an aversion to it, but that's not in my notes. It doesn't say sucks. It says ha with exclamation point. <laughs> and it says, I used to think this song meant something. It doesn't, but that's all it says in my notes. Then let's move on to a song that we think does maybe mean something. Oh my God. 
Yes. I. This next song is kind of why I wanted to talk about this album. And also, this next song is why I thought this album was relevant to 1994 solely, even though it came out in 93. Um, the, the song, and the, the, the only drawback, honestly, the only drawback to this song before we get into it, well, as we get into it, is its title. <laughs> okay. The name of this song is Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town, i.e., we just made an all-American painting. Here's your title. I seem to recognize your face Haunting, familiar, yeah I can't seem to place it we were talking before about having the Walkman and playing mixtapes as we walked around. And, and this song on the mixtape I made, it was one of those songs, you know, as I was walking to classes or through the public gardens or, or just, you know, along the Charles River at night, all these overly cinematic memories, they were all soundtracked by this song as I walked alone trying to grasp where the fuck I was. And as it was sort of an effort to do back then because of how a, a, a Walkman, a cassette Walkman worked, you know, as soon as this song faded out, I'd hit the rewind button, stop play, stop play, until I got to the start of it, and I would just play it all over again. Yeah. This song meant everything to me in that moment and sort of continues to. It, it's shocking that even now the song is still pretty relevant. Well, we're, we're elderly now, so <laughs> it, uh, it changes its meaning a little bit <clears throat> um, or, enhances, or enhances its meaning. See, and, and that's the thing, like, I, maybe that's why the title hits me strange. I know that's the title of the song, but I always put myself at the center of this song. I know it's about a, a woman who had, who's working, yeah, working the counter. I used to think convenience store, because that's where I worked, but I think it's a, it's like a diner or something. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, it's that, this song, the fucking lyric, you know, this is a song we can understand as lyrics, who, by the yeah, way. Uh, it's clear uh, and concise. Exactly. Who is singing? You're kind of getting into this. Who, who's singing the song? Like um, well, the, the character. What character is singing this Okay, song? so the character or how I related to it, it's someone who, it's all in the, that lyric, I change by not changing at all, small town predicts my fate, that, that those two words, that's who it's about, that's what they're thinking. It's about me, is how I hear it. Sure. The way I saw it was, it's the person who, in the small town, and I'll use myself as the example. You know, they think, you know, the kid thinks he's creative. You know, this kid thinks he's a playwright or he thinks he's a comedian or, or a writer. He thinks he's unique, you mm-hmm. know, because in this small town he is, you know, I am. You know, I was in a school of 66 people. I wrote plays, so I was the playwright. Right. And so I'm in this town and it's like this town can't hold a playwright. I'm too good for this town. So where do I go? I go to the big city. You know, I go to fucking Boston to an arts college. And, you know, again, in my hometown, yeah, I was worshipped as this playwright, but in a school in a big city surrounded by people who were playwrights, who were artists and who were ever and really good at it. I didn't have the ground to be that, you know, and that's the level it hits on. It's, it's someone who was big in their town, tried to get away and couldn't. You know, I change but not changing at all. Small town predicts my fate. I will always be the big fish in the little pond, but nothing else, you know. And even now at 41, this song, you know, like I, I don't know if I've ever talked on the show before about, you know, I was making it this, this indie movie with some friends, you know, this, this movie that I probably promoted it for a while. You know, we made a full length movie six years ago. We started it, you know, me and friends from college and, and, and yeah. three years ago we finished it and you know, it's not on the big screen. It's not the, it's not the indie breakthrough of a, of a career. I assumed it was it was going to be. It's 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 done and it's done. It's in the past, and I'm still. Yeah, I don't work at a coffee shop anymore, so I broke the metaphor. But it's just I have not gotten out of that small town because I didn't make it in the big city. And this song, to me, the singer, the elderly woman, in the case of the song, is the person who is behind that counter and she's seeing the world move past her around her. People go, people come, people go. And she is, she's not changing. She is still behind that counter and that twists. I guess I twisted that a little to make it relevant to me, but it's that feeling of just being stuck in the small town, whoever you are. And maybe it's not stuck. Maybe it's realizing that's who you are, but that is as the world changes around you, you don't. I don't know if everybody feels that way. 
and you frustrating. Were, you were connecting to it with that at at the age of 19? Our, our at 19, it was a reflective song. No, you're right. Yeah. It was. It must have been different at that. I definitely had, I think, because the future was still there. I think because of the tune, you're right. You know, you are right. Connecting then, it was the tune of that song probably meant something different because I still had this chance. You're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I'm reacting to it now. Because I'm one, I, I would, it'd be um, sort of tragic that you, you had the possibility in front of you. Then you heard this song and we're like, oh, yeah, that's me then. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. I, I don't... Why did this hit me so much back then? I mean, it always has. I think, you know what? Well, it's I think a beautiful, then, I it's it was a beautiful a, song. I mean, it just But it's is, not an optimistic song, and I think it struck me as that back then. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. I think the lyric, I changed by not changing at all, used to mean something different. That's probably what it is. I think the idea was, I will be unique. I am who I am. In this world, and that's not what the song means. Yeah. This isn't an upbeat song to, to contemplate life. To I mean, it is now, <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't for me at eighteen or nineteen, and it wasn't for Eddie Vedder. I mean, it's odd that the band had the ability to compose this. Yeah. I think. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's it's right. Sad. It's. I mean, in the other songs, there's. There's a like we've been talking about. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of um, something against something else. But all of them have a little bit. I mean, not all of them, but the ones we like, I think, have a little bit of optimism. There's just that little bit of uh, this is a crappy situation, but I might be able to get out of it. Rearview mirror, singing about the the bad things you're going through, but I I'm I'm picturing you behind me, and and maybe that'll happen. Um, daughter. You know, it sounds like it's a song about abuse, but there's the line in there about how she's going to rise above it. So there's that optimism. There's not a lot of optimism in this one. I guess not. And it works. And yeah, I don't know. It should have been the end of the album, too, because these last two songs, I think, are crap. Oh, <laughs> really? I like Leash. Do you? I do. And it's sort of, it's almost the uh, the, the counter, uh, the way we've been talking about Elderly Woman, it's it's the counter of that, in that uh, it's drop the leash, get out of my fucking way. It's like, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I mean, yeah, it's juvenile. It's of that time. It's of that age. Um, but I like it. It has a nice uh, melody to it. It's got a hard rock kind of groove to it, but it also... In there, a couple lines, the way they're sung are just very, I don't, I'll say Beatles-esque again, but there's just a pop to it that, that I really like. I like Leash a lot. It's a phony anthem. It's, it's a, a phony, it's a phony anthem. anthem. It's, it's, it's only it's phony. It's a lazy call to action. I think it's, it's only phony. It's a lazy youth, <laughs> which I only, was, so maybe that made sense. And and that's the thing. Maybe that made sense, and that's why I like it, and I, and I, I grew with it, and that's why I still like it. Sure, it's phony if you don't need it, but maybe you need it. Maybe you need something to. I just don't think that, you know, because I was, as I was listening to it, I was thinking of another anthem to my youth, which says a similar thing The Replacements, Bastards of Young. You know that song, right? Yeah. The we yes. Are the Sons of No One, Bastards of Young. If all that song was, was the chorus that I just said. Yeah, it, it would be a crappy anthem, but Bastards of Young goes into some depth. Sure. It goes into some aspects of an individual, what this life is. It taps into something. Leash, it just sounds like you're whining at protective but caring parents. It, it, it sounds very entitled. Drop the leash. I always thought he said, get out of my fucking face. Is it get out of my fucking way? Is that what he said? Uh, I, I don't know. That's I mean, how who, I've heard in it. your way, Eddie Vedder? <laughs> Drop the leash. Uh, deny our youth. All these. I just, I think people who don't like Pearl Jam... This is why they don't. <laughs> it just, or people at the time, because Pearl Jam was getting popular. I think this is just, it, it doesn't feel real to me. And I don't know if it did back then. It must have back then. I was the target audience for this then. And maybe that's why I think it's crap. Because who was I rebelling or revolting or standing up to at 
17 or 18. Nobody. Not yet, anyways. I have trouble with this song. But you yeah. like it. It sounds like you like it. I do like it. I do like it. And um, I read into this a little differently um, than I probably would have heard it and read into it uh, back then. Uh, the second verse, he sings, Young lover, I stand. It was their idea uh, to prove that I'm a man or something like that. I, I never really caught that it was that lyric was about, um, I don't have to sleep with you. We don't have to have sex. That doesn't make me a man. I, I might not even like women. This isn't what I have to do. Um, and I just, th- maybe that's why I'm even liking it still today because I found this new level to it. But is that what the song's about? I think he's just saying, be, be who you want to be. Is that what he's saying? That's how I've always kind of taken it. Let go of that leash. Let me be myself. I'm not going to keep following you. Yeah, but so the let me go where I want to go. Let me go do what I want to do. It's not about being something. A dog on a leash is the same dog as a dog off a leash. It's just it gets into trouble or it goes where it wants to go. You have it on a leash to, to direct it a different direction. I think also just by this point of the album, I'm done. I feel like Rear Mirror is when it picks up, but we're just two, three songs after that and I'm done. It's weird. <laughs> and it ties into the title of the next song. <laughs> Difference. Yeah. Which is a good way to end your album. Like, this is a nice, quiet song after your loud song. Again, it's a nice build. It's a good template for building mix tapes. But I never listen to this to its end on the album. I would I never, like, I, fall asleep to this song almost all really? the time. Like, oh. whenever, like, more than once. Not because it would lull me to sleep necessarily, but if I was doing homework or if I was reading and, and I had music on at that time, it was this album. And I'd get to the end of this album and I'd be dozing off and it would help me. I think the fact that I never made it to the end, even then I would turn it off. Like this just, it never struck me. And maybe that's fine because that's right there in the title, Indifference. Yeah. But um, it's just odd to me, like this album, the impact of this as an album is not as big as I thought, but the impact of one or two songs is immense. Yeah. And you're right. I think getting this album when it came out was important, you know, and it is still an album. I mean, it's it's about conflict right there in the title. You can pick any track in that becomes apparent yeah and I, and I do i do like it i i do too and and as i said before i it was a subconscious kind of thing for me because it didn't um it didn't immediately grab me what the what the themes were um i was just mm-hmm. really about the music and enjoying it and just just what it represented for me being this shift from um having decisions made for me and reacting to things to suddenly now I get to decide on my own and I get to like seek things out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was uh, pivotal for me and I, 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 I still enjoy the album as a whole skipping a track or two. I found hearing you talk about this album. I don't agree with what you're saying, but it, it did give me a vantage point. Um, if you listener, I mean, who out there is a Pearl Jam fan? A lot of people. If you have a connection with this album, maybe, or if, 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 if you have a history of this album, or if you just have this album, go back and listen to it and let us know what you think. Because I think a lot of us grew up with this being an important album. And I'd be curious if other people, what other people's take is on it. Because you and I seem to have very different connections to this album that was equally important on the day we both bought it. I'm curious how other people mature through something like this, how they develop. And, and, and does does Pearl Jam as a band and this album as a whole stick? You know, drop us a line about this. You, uh, in a couple ways you can do that. You know, like uh, if you go to 20popcast.com, there's a pop talk section. Just, just write a little something in there. Let us know what you think um, about Pearl Jam, about verses, and about returning to music from your youth and, and the relevancy of that. And maybe we'll talk about that again on a future episode. We should. I want to. Your, your viewpoints on that. Awesome. Well, as for this episode, we are wrapping things up. So if you liked it, if you enjoyed it, you know, 20th, 20th Century Popcast, what is it? It's on iTunes. You can subscribe there. You can, you can, you can leave a little review. You can subscribe to it on uh, Google Play, a couple other platforms. Check out the website, 20podcast.com. Like us on there you'll Facebook. Find like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Subcultist. You can follow me on Twitter as well, RH Canning, at RH Canning. I got to get more active on Twitter. I keep saying that. Why follow me if I'm not saying anything? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I might even just be more active in, in, in the plugs and then, you know, take it from there. But yeah, let's, let's, let's be on Twitter more. And uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to continue looking at 1994 through the eyes of two 40-something-year-olds. Uh, but until then, Bob, do you have anything you want to add? Catchphrase? Oh, that's not what I meant, but yeah. Uh-uh. See you next week, everybody. I thought you were giving me catchphrase. Well, I think you took it. I did. I guess I did take it. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I didn't give it, but you, you, you took it. It was very open-ended. I dropped the leash and you picked it up. No. I <laughs> glorified G'd. No. no. Like an animal. Let's just put you, this. Let's you have put to go do that. Rearview mirror, Tim. Rearview mirror this. <laughs> Rats. Rats. <laughs>